We all know personalization improves conversion rates, but did you know that with ShearID, you can invite and reward consumers based on their groups and affiliations securely? So you make an exclusive offer to a group like teachers, military, or first responders, and ShearID's simple checkout integration makes sure that only the right people are able to redeem. The best part is that the process is incredibly simple, and it's embedded right into your brand's checkout flow. Start your personalized checkout campaign today. Visit ShearID.com. On with the show. There's never been a better time to be a direct-to-consumer business. Join us as we uncover the strategies and scaling secrets of the world's most disruptive brands and agencies. This is DTC Podcast. Hello and welcome to the DTC Podcast. I'm Eric Dick along with co-host Kyle Guilfoyle. Today we are lucky to have Dane Walker who is a brand strategist and Instagram expert who's grown a 200,000 person following in less than two years. Dane's Instagram uh, feed has been a big inspiration for us here at Direct to Consumer. Uh, and what we love most about it is that every post on his feed is also a very useful tool. He's an expert at simplifying complex, powerful ideas into simple, straightforward content that compels you to swipe through it continuously. Uh, today, we're chatting about how to build a brand on Instagram and how to really make your uh, Instagram feed as engaging and useful as possible. Welcome to the D2C podcast today, Dane. How you doing? Thanks, man. Super excited to be here. It's a pleasure. And uh, yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, I wanted to just, we always like to start with just a, a question right off the bat. And, and so you've done some cool things. You've built, an, you've built a million dollar agency in less than uh, a year. You've built this, this awesome Instagram following with such top quality content. But I'm curious, what is your sort of like superpower? What's your, your unique power as, a, as an individual that's allowed you to have this success so far? Uh, certainly networking and, and sales. Yeah. Nice. Um, I don't really particularly talk about them quite a lot, but uh, yeah, I've been in many many sales and, and negotiation and networking situations. Uh, and I feel that if, if I was to put one word on it, it would be leverage, um, how to leverage attention, how to leverage your network, how to leverage your relationships to, to support you and what you're trying to do. Um, and I don't mean manipulating, I mean, leveraging what you have and the resources you have in your, uh, at your capacity. So yeah, passionate about it because I think that a lot of times people, um, I even ran a poll yesterday on my Instagram and um, kind of trick people into answering a question, you know, is, is time their problem or money their problem and hoping that someone would message me saying that neither were. Um, but it's, I believe it's people's perception about their resources and their immediate environment. They, they have a disconnect with what they can really achieve. So yeah, my superpower is, is, is turning nothing into something rapidly fast and, by, by leveraging relationships. Awesome. And, and, um, I mean, my assumption is that you, you didn't come out of the womb knowing how to do that. So I'm wondering, yeah. um, I'm wondering what's one thing about that that you wish you'd learned years ago? Yeah, uh, great question. Uh, I, I wish that I, I kind of, because when I left high school, I, I didn't value education. So I just kind of would party and, and drink and, and um, you know, kind of just waste my time. Um, and then rediscovered my passion for learning when I was, I would say like 20, like 23 in that gap after school, I, or even earlier, I wish I just appreciated education, uh, at a much earlier age. I just had this misconception of what it meant. I just, I wasn't learning things I was interested in school failed me. Um, they tried to teach me math when I wanted to learn design. I wanted to learn other things. Yeah. 
I wanted to ask, do you have an example of just of, of, cause leverage is a, it, it's a, it's a concept we all get, um, but it's a very broad concept. There's, you can, you can you build leverage in, in, you know, all sorts of different types of situations. Can you give us an example of, you know, over the past several months, like some big moment that, that, that has benefited your business, you know, your businesses greatly where you sort of have ramped up the leverage in a clever way? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, so there's a guy on uh, Instagram, his name is Mario, Mario Trotter. You can look him up. Um, I think it's, I'm the monk. Uh, on Instagram okay. uh, or Mario the Muck, I'm trying, I can't remember, sorry. But uh, but what happened was um, he was an initial uh, fan of my work back when I was unknown and uh, he was consuming my content and he messaged me um, asking uh, if I could show him like some ideas around uh, creating content. We got, to, we got to talking and then eventually uh, we ended up collaborating and I, I leveraged that relationship. I created his content for free and the trade-off was he was going to hand me clients that would pay me money. So, you know, that in my opinion is leverage. I leveraged that relationship. I gave him something that he valued massively. He gave me something I valued massively and those initial batch of clients uh, helped me get the momentum to, to explode my Instagram and also to, to put the money and the resources into focusing on that full-time because at that time I had a full-time job and um, that relationship enabled me to quit that inside of two weeks. I'm curious about a, a couple of things uh, right off the hop here. One is um, um, your, your full-time job, your background, you know, sort of what led you to, to where you are today, but also, sorry, this is kind of a two-parter. Um, you mentioned that you, you didn't really value learning growing up. And I yeah. often, I, I find that when that's the case, there's usually a person or a, or a who, who somehow, um, you know, sparked something inside of you, um, re reignited that love of learning. And I'm, I'm wondering, I think this is the main question here. I'm wondering who that person was for you or, or what it was that, that kind of got that, that learning flame going for you. Yeah, man, that's a great question. Uh, one of my best friends, Kalen Kelly, um, I met him when I was, uh, when I was, you know, in, in my early adolescence and, um, he was, he was an individual, he had a massive network. He was all about networking. He was all about negotiation and it, it, he lived and breathed, uh, business negotiating and, and, and all that type of stuff. And, um, the cool thing is anytime he needed money, he would just summon like 10,000, $20,000 just through his network. And I, I was just baffled by that. And I talked to him one time and, and he, he took me to his house and he got a plastic bag and he filled it with like 60 books about business and was like, um, here, man, like read every book in this bag, uh, in the next seven days or don't talk to me ever again. <laughs> and, uh, I certainly didn't get all the books read, but I, I picked up one, which was cash flow quadrant. And I read that front to front to back and I rang it back and I was like, I'm sorry, man, I didn't read everything, but I read one book and he goes, that's all I wanted. He's like, I just, I just wanted you to at least start reading. And uh, that book really helped me appreciate and understand that, that money wasn't evil. Money wasn't this bad thing that I kind of grew up with the belief that money was not a good thing. It was, uh, it was a negative thing in my life. And, and um, yeah, that, that sparked everything. Because as soon as I kind of realized that um, I could utilize my resources to collect money and do something that I'm excited about in life, all of a sudden, all these doors opened up of things that I could achieve in my life if I just could summon the resources to do the things I would I was passionate about doing. Um, but then from that day, I kept reading. I hadn't stopped reading since. Uh, so I guess that that's probably the moment where I started to really appreciate education again. Amazing. That that's, that's Robert Kiyosaki, that one or yeah, Robert Kiyosaki cash flow quadrant. Uh, the same guy that wrote rich dad, poor dad. Awesome. Okay. So just one more, one more book question. I, I love books. Um, what, uh, since then what have been, um, you know, one to three books that have had the biggest impact. 
uh, most recently this one, uh, which is the 22 Immutable uh, Laws of Marketing by Al Reese. Um, this book is underrated, man. Like if you're trying to grow a business, you have to understand the principles in here. Awesome book. Um, other than that, I would say um, my, my personal favorites uh, uh, would be um, the 10X rule. Um, this book here, the 10X rule, um, it's quite a controversial book in many senses, but uh, for me, it, it did one thing and it was push me to get outside my comfort zone and take massive action. Just be nonstop relentless about pursuing uh, what it is I wanted to achieve. Um, and another personal favorite is how to win friends and influence people again, back to, you know, um, psychology and, and how people behave and things like that really interested me. And another personal favorite is the richest man of Babylon. That book uh, is really cool. It's all these parables about how money seems to work and operate and how people seem to handle the idea of it. And it's actually a really old book and it's, yeah, it's certainly something that's not really talked about much either. So I love that book too. Cool. Awesome. Very cool. Shout out. Um, I wanted to get back to your feed for a sec, just because uh, we love, you know, we love your content that you put out where, you know, it, it, it's just built to compel people all the way through it. Um, and so you, you've got two things going on. You've got your, you've got your personal uh, brand, which is, you know, which you've been really been able to grow. And then your, then your, your agency, I guess the tip of the spear for that is your ability to do that similar thing for other brands and, and other businesses. Um, what, like, what are your, what, what, like, what have your essential learnings that have like around Instagram that have really allowed you to kind of build around this idea? Yeah, I think, uh, when I started my account, um, you know, as, as, as I've just expressed, I read a lot of books and I, and I constantly force myself to learn. I've been to plenty of, you know, live workshops. Um, I've listened to plenty of audio tapes and read books. Like I really enjoy the process of learning. I really appreciate it. And it makes life a lot more interesting. Um, so for me, when I started creating carousels, it was a great way for me to express um, my thoughts on, on, on ideas that I collected and my, um, my learnings and, and how they've served and helped me, you know, so I would, uh, I, I know some people out there, they try to find things to talk about, but I, I tried to keep my content around things that I'd learned and I'd executed and I'd, I'd grown from and it, and it add that personable touch to it because I was writing from experience, not just from something I read on the internet. And I, I still try to do that as, as much as I can just write about things that, that are actually things that I've achieved and done personally, um, or, or used in some form. So when I started creating my content, it was just about that. And then very quickly, as the page started growing and getting traction, I started learning the behavior and the, the thought process and, and the lives and, and kind of the day-to-day -day mindset of those who appreciated the content the most. And the shift started to go into what direction of like, okay, this is my target audience. These are the people that really appreciate and cherish my work. And, um, you know, these are the people uh, that, that love what I do. And then I, I, I would dive into... DMs with them and I'd have conversations with them and I'd hop on Zoom calls with them and just make friends. I literally was just making friends, meeting people, um, you know, genuinely just being interested in what they what they had to say and just asking them like, what were their problems? What were their challenges? Um, and predominantly my page is like 70% people trying to start their own businesses and they're just flying solo. Uh, so they all seem to have a very similar problem. So then I was just collecting all their problems and using things that I knew that were solutions to those problems as pieces of content. And from that, I would notice that people, if, if I could really help them with a problem and they felt like, wow, like this really helped me, Dan, like I did, my, my heaviest hitting post was like how to price your services. 
and it's just a simple math formula that that you can use to make sure that you're pricing your your products and services effectively and um that that's had almost like 1.5 million views it's still trending people are still sending it to people and i posted that like three months ago but that post like as an example is you know if someone feels that i've really solved the problem for them they're going to share it. They're going to send it to people. They're going to feature it in their story. Uh, so when I make content, I was just trying to think about how can I make an impact so much so that someone wants to share it and, and, and feel that they have to spread the word on that particular piece of content. That was always my intention just to help people with, with the challenges they were having. Um, so like you see a lot of people making Instagram content. They're just trying to think about what's going to get likes, what's going to get comments. And you'll see this people will post stuff and delete it inside the first couple of hours because it's not performing uh, to what they want. But I think if you can get back to the heart of who you're trying to speak to, um, what's going to make them laugh, what's going to make them react, what's going to make them uh, want to take some action and do something with their day. So that's that's always the intention. And that's, that's how we were able to really uh, get that momentum on my personal page in the last year and a half. And would you... Um... I think you just answered this, but as you were talking, I came up with a hypothesis because a lot of folks, you know, they, they want to get traction on, on Instagram or really any, any platform. Um, and my hypothesis is many of them don't get the traction because um, they aren't doing it in like a spirit of, of service or trying to actually solve a problem um, or help people overcome a challenge. Uh, a, would you say that that hypothesis is accurate? And B, is there something else at play that that prevents people from getting the traction that they want? Yeah, great question. Um, I would say your hypothesis is right. Um, you know, and, and if you look at any successful um, campaign when it comes to marketing or branding, it's it always starts from who are we trying to speak to, like. And I don't like typically people answer that question like, oh, as many people as possible. And it's like that's cool, but like. Let's, let's be very specific. Are you trying to speak to women that are 25 that are single and have a child? That's dramatically different to a woman who's 35, married and has three children. Like their, their behavior and psychology and lifestyle and psychographics are completely different. So if you think about who is that person that you're trying to connect with, it then it comes a bit more personal. So when you're making the content, it's it, you should be very centric on who's that person or who were those those group of people and what problems do they share in common and what does their life look like and everything like that. So I think that, you know, when making content, that should always be the first point. The second point is oftentimes um, people have the misconception that they're making content directly for those that are going to buy from them. You know, we, we just to give you an idea, our agency currently, we have 46 active clients right now, like at this moment. Um, and majority of them, when they're making content, their main thing is, oh, I just want to make content only for those that are going to give me money. And, um, you know, it, they don't say it like that, but it's certainly like their only concern. And because they're like, oh, I'm spending money on this. I got to make sure I'm getting my ROI. Uh, you know, I think that these business owners and for those that are listening, if you have a business that I totally get it, like you need to cover your expenses, you need to make income, but what's going to make an impact is not that focus. It's the, the, the consumer centric focus, which is going to make an actual impact. People don't care about your ROI. People don't care about your, your business, your intention. So when we make content, we try to make content that is not too wide, like in a sense that we're not going too wide with our niche. We're trying to speak to a certain, a certain niche demographic of people. 
And at the same time, uh, we're trying to make content not for those that are going to give us money. We're trying to make content for those who are in the world of those people that are going to give us money. What I mean by that is 99.9% of my, my, my fan base, 200,000 people, are never going to buy anything from me ever. And that's okay. Here's, here's the cool thing. It's what I call rent a crowd. So those 199,000 people, uh, they're going to be ambassadors if they appreciate me, if they enjoy my content. They're going to be the ones to put my piece of content in their story. They're never going to buy anything from me, but they could take my content, put it in their story and be like, this is amazing. Then their fan base, there might be a guy or a girl in there who sees that content and goes, man, this is the guy to solve my problems. They're going to DM me, go through my pipeline and eventually buy something. So it's the rent a crowd principle. We, we try to teach our clients like, yeah, we want to target those who are going to give you money. But more importantly, we need to target the people that have the problem in this space to kind of spread the word and, and, and massage your message through, through communities uh, if they really appreciate your content. I wanted to ask about the, I was in, in a, in my previous position, uh, we were, we were building some um, slideshows and there we were looking at some other people of, of exactly like best practices and a little bit of the mechanics of Instagram uh, carousels essentially like and I know I you, you, you may have a more more naturalistic approach where you're just like I'm telling a good story and it'll take as many you know carousels as it takes but are there any sort of tips or tricks around okay you got to get them past that third slide or something because if they go to the third they're going to go to the seventh is there is there anything around the mechanics of these things that you really have to think about what when you're building them in order to try to get that level of virality 100%. Yeah. So, um, you know, because people, there's people out there that make better carousels than me and, and do amazing things and, and, um, uh, and, and put out content and they don't yet have the traction on their page because I've been doing it for a long time. I have a lot of people like that, that are already fans that kind of like, I could post something pretty sloppy and people will still go nuts over it. You know what I mean? So we have to be aware of that, that I have to continue to force myself to, to not, not concern myself with those who are fanboying me. Um, but focus on, okay, are we actually solving a problem with this post? So, I mean, the mechanics of it, I, I would say the most important thing is the the first slide. Like the first page uh, has to have people stop the swiping. So they're going through their feed, swiping really fast, looking for something worth looking at. Uh, and, you know, you have to have potentially a color palette, a typography, an image aesthetic, something that is... Uh, similar to when you go on YouTube and you get a wall of videos in front of you, like what are you going to click on? Because usually it's the the one that has the most interesting or the most striking or the most clickbaity title. We like, I have to know the answer to that question yeah. or I have to know the answer to that statement. So I, I, I try to think of, uh, you know, and I've done this many times where, you know, Joe Rogan uh, moved from YouTube to, uh, to Spotify. And then I wrote uh, a post and I had a, picture of Joe Rogan and it said how Joe Rogan became a billion dollar brand. I think it was something about he's now a billion dollar brand. And that post went viral because people were like, what Joe Rogan? Like, I need to know what's happening. Um, so we, jacking, we certainly, right. That's like, yeah. So yeah. We, we try to, yeah, we try to jack into trends. Um, and, and the other big one as well is like when I get a lot of DMS and a lot of inboxes that people are asking the same question again and again and again, they have the same problem. I, I know if I can somehow include that problem, in the title, like the title somehow denotes that I'm going to solve that problem that you have. Um, and it's, and it's vibrant and interesting. Those posts go viral as well. So for those that have a new page, you can't really gauge that yet because you don't have the, the, the size audience that you need to really measure that. Um, it's once your page has momentum that those tactics really start to take off. But initially, if you have a, if you have a, 
feed when someone lands on your on your first on your first nine tiles when they go to your feed do the first nine tiles look interesting to them does your bio speak to them like they're probably the most important things initially before you start moving into those other tactics but when it comes to the carousel if i was to break it down we use the ada method the aida method which is attention um, generate interest so after they swipe that title slide it's the next slide is that going to encourage them to want to swipe again so I typically i use the first three slides to you know to say something pretty bold or really interesting inside of like one second each slide so I basically want them to see the title go swipe, swipe, swipe. Because typically when, if they get past the third slide, statistically, they're going to finish the whole thing mm. if the first three slides are interesting enough. So I designed the first three slides to be really quick to swipe through. That's why I don't have like a lot of text on page two and page three of the carousel. I usually leave that towards the end. Um, and yeah, I, I want them to be able to digest it and consume it and read it very quickly. If each page looks like an article, they're not going to read it, which can be difficult sometimes because um, some people try to lean on the visual aesthetics to keep people swiping. But interestingly enough, the copy has to has to almost paint a picture in their mind or say something very interesting. So the copywriting is really important. Uh, so typically, yeah, the first three slides, I'm just trying to get their attention and generate interest. Um, then I'm trying to fulfill their desire somehow by uh, by answering a problem or talking about the problem. Typically, I'm almost always talking about some type of problem that they have. Like this is the problem you have and this is how it feels and this is the repercussions and this is where it goes wrong. Then at the end, usually page eight or nine, I solve it in some interesting way. And I typically use diagrams or pictures, um, something more than just text uh, wherever possible. Um, you know, I noticed that Chris Doe's page does really well because he does really interesting or he used to uh, do really interesting diagrams and, and breakdowns so people could see it visually. And really, you could say a lot more with a visual than you can with a small paragraph. Uh, and then slide 10, CTA, you know, encourage them to, to drop a comment. Um, and this is really important too, like slide 10, I try to think of a question um, I can ask them that, again, I'm trying to clickbait them to want to answer the question. To, to want to throw in their opinion, to want to throw in their two cents. And um, I think as so long as you can, yeah, have a really interesting title, really interesting copywriting, um, go a bit harder at the end when it comes to page eight or nine, go a bit more in depth. You can certainly write checkpoints or, or some type of criteria or some type of process. Um, and the reason I put that, if you go to my page and look at slide eight or nine on each carousel, what I'm trying to do in that point is I'm trying to get them to want to save it. I put in enough information that they know they're not going to remember it, but I want to make it valuable enough to be like, wow, there's a process I can follow, save. Or, okay, there's a checklist. I'm going to need to remember that. Let me save it. If I can get that save metric, that really helps with the performance of the post as well. Yeah, I think I think I'd read somewhere recently that uh, that's like that's like the new hot metric or the one that really the algorithm uh, appreciates the most uh, is, is when yeah. people save. Do people uh, revisit? Is there any data? Because it's funny we were just we were just talking about the amount of uh, prints we get on our emails or the amount of they're they're great they're great metrics. But I'm wondering, does anyone ever go back into their save posts? And do we have any data on whether people do that? That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, I know they do. I remember looking into it. Um, that it's it's very it's very minimal. Like it's not a crazy amount. Mm -hmm. um but there are people that certainly do i think there's like it's a small percentage it's like three or four percent or something um come back and actually revisit the post um i i guess depending on the value of the content maybe it's a bit higher if someone's like a real real enthusiast and a real fan they might might have more of an inclination to do that 
Just, uh, I just have one more, um, like, you know, based on what I'm hearing here, um, and here's another hypothesis or hunch is that there aren't really any growth hacks beyond just creating useful content uh, consistently. Um, and um, I'm wondering a, if that's true, but I'm also wondering about hashtags because I, I think I've been hearing somewhere that like hashtags don't really matter all that much or I don't know what, what could you just give us the skinny on, on hashtags? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it, it's certainly like the, it's certainly something that unfortunately has been uh, preyed upon because people acknowledge that most people feel that hashtags are confusing. So you see a lot of YouTube videos teaching how to use hashtags and um, that became a trend around, you just got to fix your hashtags and your content's going to blow up and you're going to become a millionaire and blah, blah, blah. Um, I, I'd certainly think that hashtag is nothing more personally than, than a filing system. It's, it's you telling the algorithm, this is where this content belongs. This is, uh, you know, this is where we need to file this piece of content. And you're basically trying to tell the algorithm, these types of people that typically consume these types of hashtags are the ones that are going to be interested in my content. Uh, and the interesting thing about the algorithm is it's, it's crazy intelligent. Like if you, if you do some research on this, the, the algorithm that looks at the photos, like just the, just the piece of software that reads the photo that you upload or the, or the image that you upload, it, it, it actually pairs that image. Let's just say you take a selfie. It pairs that image with a database of over 3 trillion other photos that have been uploaded into Instagram and categorizes it based on the colors, based on uh, what elements it can pick up on. Like if you, if you take a selfie and there's a tree line behind you and a skyline and, and then there's a Mercedes on the street, it can actually read and tell what model that Mercedes is, what color it is. It can tell where the tree line is. It knows that it's a selfie based on you've taken a photo yourself. Um, so it's already putting it into a filing system the minute you, you hit upload. Then the hashtags are just an additional layer of you trying to tell the platform this is where this content belongs. Because the, the, the entire function of the algorithm is it's only going to show users what they're interested in. If you're interested in looking at pictures of Baby Yoda all day, then the algorithm's going to eventually pick up on that, that you're interested in Star Wars, you're interested in those types of hashtags. It's going to continue to put those things in your feed, assuming that you keep commenting, engaging, and saving that stuff. So where the save is important is that if they save my, my content, it's them telling the algorithm, I really value this. Show me more content like this. Uh, so when I post again, they're going to see it again. So that it, it helps that trend. Uh, so yeah, when, when thinking about the algorithm, you just got to think about hashtags as just a filing system, just you telling the algorithm, hey, this is where this content belongs. Um, you're certainly going to get eyeballs from that and it's certainly going to perform well, assuming you have a lot of engagement in the first three hours, um, you know, the comments, the likes, the, 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 the saves, uh, the DMs, everything that kind of happens on that post is almost like going to give you a, a, a like a, a a score on how well your hashtags should perform. So typically when I have a piece of content that's doing really well engagement wise, and I don't just mean comments, I mean like holistically everything that's happening on that post, then those hashtags will, from what I've noticed and what I've researched, they will typically perform better. Um, and also how Instagram thinks that you fit into things will also dictate how well your hashtags perform. So I typically stay in the realm of marketing branding with my hashtags. Um, and if you, if you like literally after three hours of posting, I'll go in and I'll check every hashtag when I can. And most oftentimes I'll be able to identify, uh, when my posts are performing. So for those that are listening, if you really want to get good at hashtagging, um, check out flick.tech, uh, amazing resources. And that's one place when you post something, 
that that piece of software will tell you, hey, out of the 30 hashtags you used, these five hashtags actually performed. These other 25 didn't. Those five that performed, maybe it was because that's what Instagram thought you were. Maybe it's because that post was doing really well, or maybe that's because um, a couple of people picked up your post from that, that hashtag. And all of a sudden, if you go to that hashtags page and a lot of people are clicking on that post, it's just going to move it up the <laughs> up the totem pole. So loaded answer to a simple question. Uh, but in summary, I would say hashtags are not the, the most important thing. I would say they're probably like 15 or 16 on the list of priorities um, when it comes to Instagram. But that flick tech that you mentioned, I think is a really good insight for people because I think I think a lot of people don't even know that that, that exists, right? That you can actually get that level of data on, on which ones yeah. are working for you. Yeah, because if you and, and the other thing as well is it'll tell you what hashtags um, it doesn't like. Like it'll actually say these hashtags are banned or these hashtags are disliked by Instagram. Don't use them again. Stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, I shouldn't put the punchlines of my jokes in hashtags like my uncle did in 2010. I realized. As well. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag yeah, disappointing. Bad idea. <laughs> uh, but okay, I wanted to. So you know, we're we are a content enterprise. Uh, that sits on, you know, inside of an agency right now where we're, we're creating content with our newsletter and with our podcast and business filters into, into the agency. I assume you, you have a similar funnel. You have, you've got this amazing content. You say uh, 70% are, are maybe sole proprietors and you have a course for them, which, which is amazing. And then, and then I'm sure through the rest, you have interesting opportunities on the agency side. Can you tell yeah. us a little bit about your process, like what kind of clients you work with and what your process is like uh, with those clients? Yeah, great question. So uh, the agency we have, uh, we've got quite a handful of people now and we're still growing. Um, but we, you know, we have web designers, copywriters, graphic designers, um, people that help with, with research and, and branding and strategy and, and, and funnels um, and marketing. Uh, so you know, we, we have quite a wide scope when it comes to the agency. But as far as process goes with our page, um, my intention is to put out content that so as a purpose that we just previously talked about, which is, you know, solving problems for those freelancers and also simultaneously solving similar problems uh, for, for those that run an enterprise of three, four, five people. Um, and a lot of a lot of people that are quite business savvy typically don't use social media for entertainment. They typically use it to try and gather additional resources. Um, this wasn't the case five years ago, but certainly now it is seen pretty common that um, social platforms are used for education now as well, which is cool. So, you know, we, we get a lot of people that run surprisingly like quite substantial companies, like multi-million dollar companies, um, people that run, you know, real estate agencies, people that um, are trying to create, um, that they, they, they have a lot of money that they're now starting up a, a coffee roasting business or, you know, they're a personal brand and they're making $700,000 a year, but they don't have the resources to, to build their website and all this other stuff. So we typically get a lot of people that are personal brands that have money and that also, um, you know, they're starting something up or they're at a point where, and this, th these are the three things, the startups, the people that are personal brands and the, the businesses that are getting stuck with their growth. They might have a team of 10, but they just can't seem to figure out how to get themselves to open their next shop. So one of our clients, um, they build like two, three, $400,000 land cruises and we're doing marketing for them. Um, and they're about to open a second shop, but they don't have their website sorted out. They don't have their social media sorted out. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, the CEO of that company used to film himself and his wife working on trucks and putting on YouTube and that got them all their leads. But now he's running a team of 20 people in the next six months. And he's like, I don't have time to edit on YouTube anymore. What do I do? How do I, how do I scale this out? How do I outsource this? Um, so we get a lot of people um, DMing us from our content 
And this is this, if I was to package this in its simplest format is make content that creates conversations, have quality conversations with that audience, and then decipher, you know, who are those are going to be worthy clients and who are those are just fans of your work. Um, so we extrapolate um, those who are, you know, what we would deem as worthy clients by putting them through a filter. So we post the content, they consume the content, they DM me, yo, Dane, like, I like this piece of content. Um, I'm struggling with my business. I don't know if they're a, a freelancer that doesn't have money or, you know, a CEO of a company. And I go, Hey man, like, tell me about your business. You know, tell me about, you know, what you guys are doing? What are you struggling with? I'll, I'll kind of read it and chit chat with them a little bit. And then I'll send them a link to my, um, to my website and they'll go to the website and there's a, a questionnaire. And I say, go to my website, fill out the questionnaire and you're booking a call with me and my team. Um, and that questionnaire is, that's the filter. That's, that's the thing that I'm trying to identify. Do they have the money or not? So if they go through the questionnaire and, and they, they're kind of displaying that they don't really have the financial resources to uh, buy anything from our agency, that's when we then refer them to the academy. Hey, you know, it seems that, you know, we still get on a call with them. Hey, look, it seems like you don't potentially have the resources yet uh, to, to purchase our agency products. And that's okay. We have a, we have an academy. We have a weekly call where we can teach you how to be resourceful with what little you have and how to grow your business from nothing. Cause we've done that too. Um, so our business is unique. Our agency is in unique in that sense that we teach those that don't have resources, how to do it. And then, on the other side, we we have big business that do have the cash to do it. So teach you how to do it yourself or we, we're going to do it for you. So that that questionnaire, usually we have, you know, quite, quite a large number of people filling that out every day. Those that, I guess, qualify the questionnaire go through to a like a one-hour consult with our team, myself or, or, or another team member. And then we'll take them through our, our process and our, our suite of products um, through identifying their problems, and, and legitimately trying to find out what is the correct solution for that problem, whether we can serve that or not. On the product side of things, we, we do websites, logos, branding, content creation, market research. We build funnels, we build campaigns, we do strategy, you know, we, we design collateral, we do a lot of design work. So we have a lot there. I didn't do that six months ago, but there's a lot there. So we don't really promote that on Instagram because we just want to keep Instagram consumer centric because we know that if people have genuine problems, uh, we can take them on that journey to discovering how we can help them with the agency. I wanted to direct your attention to d2cplus.co where we have $1 trials for our private membership community where you're going to get access to all of our amazing workshops and challenges like the Influencer Flywheel Challenge, the Automation Challenge, and the Standout with Snapchat, our Snapchat uh, challenge that we just finished recording. You'll get a full course library. You'll get access to our private group. You'll get access to these podcasts uh, when they are recorded where you can ask questions live. Uh, you're going to want to join d2cplus.co and you can do it right now for a dollar. So you should go there right now, d2cplus.co, join for $1 only and get all of that awesome D2C goodness. Just um, just one more question before we, we get into some roasting here. Um, uh, and this for this will be for the agency owners. Um, I, like, I hear a lot of uh, what you just said and, and all the things that you do. And um, it kind of scares the shit out of me because if I were in your shoes, I would... How How can an agency owner avoid feeling like they're always making stuff up, you know, like every new client, it's like, whew, you got to like, get your, get your head into their world. You got to understand the pain points of their customers, et cetera, et cetera. And then you got to like, 
create solutions and across all these different platforms, blah, blah, blah. So um, what, yeah, if, what do you guys do to, to, to avoid feeling like you're always making it up? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, imposter syndrome, feeling like we're not worthy and, and, and all those things. And we certainly have had those moments where we're like, man, this client's out of our league. Like, how do we, how do we, um, how do we gear ourselves up to, to, to help them as much as we can? Um, so the core of our brand as an agency is always like doing the right thing is always the right thing. So we know our heart's in the right place. And um, there's plenty of projects where we've lost money. Um, you know, majority of our projects we made money on, but we, we're, we're, we're confident in the outcome because we know if we fail the initial project scope um, that we'll just jump right back in to square one and rebuild it again in, in a way that they're going to be happy with. Um, so we communicate that with clients from the start. Now, uh, from an agency side of things, I guess if I was to simplify this as much as I can, the, the process to avoid the entanglement of, you know, the difficult things that ensue when you have 46 live clients um, is to systemize and, and autonomize everything we possibly can. Anything that could possibly be systemized, we'll look for a way to do it. Um, you know, so we use a, a, a framework um, on, on monday.com and we use a, another framework on uh, HubSpot and HubSpot links into literally everything. Uh, you know, so HubSpot is, is our, I guess, our, our AI, our brain, um, you know, it prompts us and reminds us things. So, so long as the team is utilizing HubSpot effectively, it's going to remind them of deadlines. It's going to remind them of notes of the clients. It's going to have collected pain points of the clients, the pain, the, the, the client's expectations. So I think it's very important for agency owners when, when new clients are coming in that you collect as much data and you safe keep it as best as you possibly can. Because, you know, when you're juggling 10 or more clients, you start to forget what each of them need. Um, I'm very lucky in the sense that I've got really great team members around me. I'm not the one pulling all the strings. Uh, I, I certainly know how to get attention and how to sell and 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 how to network and leverage. Um, but you know, I got people on my team that are better that, at me at management, better at me at leadership, better at me at design. Um, so I think it's a, really a matter of putting great people around you that um, kind of fill the gaps where where you're weak. So one of my weaknesses is like juggling a lot of things simultaneously. Um, so Tyson, you know, my business partner is like a maniac at juggling tasks. Like the guy can build the most extravagant spreadsheets you'd ever seen. <laughs> so he's tracking data and crunching numbers and, and that's not my thing. And, and um, you know, I'm lucky to have him and um, Carlos, you know, he, he has this crazy process with, with what, which to put together uh, websites and stuff like, so to, to summarize it, to, to make it in its simplest form, to, to not have ourselves overwhelmed, you have to have systems, you have to have frameworks, you have to have protocols, um, you know, and you have to have decentralized commands. Jocko Willink talks about it in his podcast. You have to trust your team to know what they're doing with their thing. Um, you know, so where possible, we delegate things that uh, we, we can to the team. If they're capable of doing it, even if they muck it up, it's okay. Um, that's okay for them to learn from that because they're going to grow as people as well. So we try to, we try to delegate what's possible. Uh, we certainly rely on each other in a team and we put all the data we can into HubSpot to remind us and prompt us what we need to be doing. Amazing. I, uh, I did an event uh, earlier this year with Chandler Welling. Do you know him? He's uh, Welling Media runs uh, a, a creative shop as well. He did a presentation for us on organic traffic. He, he brought up one of his clients, which was an auto um, apparel or an auto outfitting company, essentially. So you could do all sorts of different things to your trucks with these products. And, and he'd driven some insane number of, uh, 
of conversions of sales for them, millions of dollars, uh, just by just by having a really good organic feed. And I'm wondering, like, I, I'm sure your approach varies client to client, but is this sort of the mentality you take because you come from you know this organic background of where you've built up this big following? Is that an approach you sort of focus on with clients first that that things kind of emanate out from organic, or do you sometimes just jump right into paid? Yeah, we, we certainly we certainly jump into organic first because um, we, we want to help them establish brand and we want them to understand that uh, it's not just about ROI, it's not, a, not just about hunting that paycheck, but it's about, okay, do you have a community around your business that, that support and love what you do? And uh, most oftentimes they do. So then it's, then it's just nurturing what they have already. Um, just looking at, you know, not overlooking who's around them, not overlooking their current clients. Cause sometimes their current clients might want to buy additional stuff. Uh, you know, so we, we jump into their Instagram pages of our clients and we look at ways that we can create content that's going to speak to their community, speak to their audience, speak to their fan base, and just try and make the first focus, establishing brand, establishing a presence, um, and, and, and getting involved in the community in some fashion. And once the momentum really starts to take traction, um, usually it takes about 90 days on Instagram specifically to really get a good sense of how their page is going to perform and grow. Um, we just collect data and run reports and check out what content was engaged with the most and then go all in on that. So usually after 90 days, that's when we start looking at paid uh, campaigns. That's when we usually look at pivoting and, and kind of going a little bit harder on things because we want to, I guess, experiment at least initially, experiment a lot to try and see what works, what doesn't work before we um, have them pour in too many resources. One of the one of the neat insights he had, uh, just just one last thing here was that, that I thought was interesting was as a meet you know we're a buying shop first we come from I come from a performance marketing background all about buying the traffic and optimizing on the back end essentially, um, but but and so sometimes when you have an organic post and you want to put a budget behind it. Uh, you know, you have to make sure that you're going to keep that post. So it has all of the same social proof on it. You don't want to you know, lose all that. So we're very precious about the momentum of individual posts. But he was sort of saying, he's like, when you have a post that wins, he's like, it doesn't, he's like, you, you can post it on another day uh, and it'll do as well again, because it's not really about the magic juice behind the post. It's about the content in the post. Mm. And if the content in the post resonates once, it'll resonate again. It doesn't, and it doesn't really matter the, the technical momentum of it. It's just really about the content. Exactly. Yeah. If it, if it's fire content, you put money into it. It's gonna it's gonna do well. You know, like we uh, with my with my page, we if a post is like blown up, uh, we're like, yeah, we're gonna put money in that. Like, no doubt about it. Like, because if it's if it's gonna perform really well, we know that if we put money into it, that that's gonna generate enough um, additional ROI uh, to to justify the money spent on it. Nice. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Here we go. We're gonna try something. Most people listen to this <laughs> podcast. Yeah. So uh, we're going to, if you're listening right now, you can follow along. You can just go to our Instagram, uh, into our Instagram handle. Like we're, we're going to first just take a quick look at, are we, are we doing it? Is this happening? Yeah, I can see it. Yep. Nice. Okay. So we're in Dane. So first of all, if you want to follow Dane uh, while we're here, you make sure you find him at Dane Walker with a D-A-I-N. Um, and then, so here we go. Here we go. This is just the D to C. We've just started putting a little bit of attention into this. So if you want to follow us right now, we're on Instagram.com slash DTC newsletter, uh, which is our Instagram handle. Honestly, we've just been, we've been building our subscriber base through ads and these 3000 followers that we've generated in the past six months or so are just sort of passive from that, you know? Um, you know, and then, so we've just started to, you know, to put a little bit more energy into 
into this stuff. So there we go. We'll, we'll start with this first one. We got Angela, uh, our, our head of UGC. So this was one that we had, we had some debates on this one, because if you, if you click through this post, you'll see, uh, okay. So the, the post is, Hey, DDCers, today's value rocket is all about comparison charts. Comparison charts are extremely effective at helping customers understand why you're better than competitors. Uh, first of all, there's a few apostrophe errors in there, which uh, I think <laughs> which I just noticed. So first, first slide, we start with a beautiful girl. That's always a good, good option, right? Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about it, man. Uh, certainly clickbait. Yeah. My, my initial impression is um, I would say slide one. Uh, if I was to, if I was to critique um, UGC school, like for those that, that see this, that don't understand um, it, it would appear as in my personal opinion, it would appear a bit, uh, a bit advert like um, so I would I would look at how could we have a title um, that is just 100% about the consumer like a, a direct um, like you know if it was to say how to solve X or you know how to deal with this thing here so I you know like quick tips like that's a bit more um, interesting but I, I appreciate the design I appreciate the time invested I like the colors I like the deep blues and and, and the turquoise um, but I, my suggestion just by you scrolling through your feed is looking for ways to have the thumbnails really grab people's eyes um, that don't look alike something they'd seen before. I think that if you can accomplish that, it's really an effective way to grab someone's imagination. The top three um, posts that I see here, I think that there's, there's too much text. I would certainly just have something real simple and the, the third one at the top there, uh, again, it feels very markety. It feels very advert like. Um, I, I would I would encourage you guys to to go a bit more on the side of um, what does a user want to see? What do they find captivating? What's something they're going to tap on and get I excited think, about? I think that's great feedback, and it's honestly like as a marketer, you know, as, so, as someone who, you know, we put out content all the time, and so and we're always putting it out from the the. the perspective of the guests or, or, or our perspective, but really fighting to get through to the way this is going to land and what problem it's going to solve for our audience and really make that crystal clear uh, in every post. That sounds like the, the feedback here. Yeah. Can you just click on that first carousel of the UGC school and just go to the, the second slide of the carousel? Let's see. Yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah. So this, we were just talking about this and all, all that we basically did was take newsletter content yeah, and just add it to to this, and it's sort of it's educational. Uh, we've had a ton of saves. I think that was one thing we noticed on this uh, KG. We did have a lot of saves just because it's so much content. Yeah, but I was sort of saying my my feedback was a we've got to reduce the text by ninety percent. You know, we got to get down to like ninety percent less text. We, we <laughs> I'd like to add some like more design elements that compel people through. Whether it's like you know those arrows that go between two slides kind of thing. Um, yeah. Yeah. Rip this one apart. Yeah, man. Uh, way too much text. Uh, the first two slides, they're going to take more than, you know, five or six seconds to read. Uh, so someone would probably swipe and just maybe feel like, man, I don't really feel like reading and they're just going to exit right out. I see. You that. know, so yeah. you need to think about like, yeah, the first slide, first and foremost, uh, you need to, need to grab their attention in a really dramatic way. Like think about YouTube titles. The second slide it has to, it has to be like a real simple sentence or, or a simple quote or something that's like, like that makes the viewer go, what? Like, Oh, that's interesting. And swipe again and, and really build that momentum. So you need to think about almost like uh, the way a snowball would roll down a hill and turn into a landslide. 
you kind of want to save the landslide of text till the end uh, and just kind of snowball it through so that you can kind of gain momentum. They can kind of come along for the ride. Um, you got to cut the fat with the text. You got to think of how can I write that same, how can I say the same thing with one sentence? Yep. I know that can be challenging sometimes um, because here's the thing. You don't have to give the, the viewer all of the nuggets. Uh, you just have to pique their curiosity and allow them leaving the carousel going, huh, I just learned a little something. I, I learned a different perspective. Uh, and slide the slides, I would certainly do 10. Uh, this will allow you to have less on each page uh, and try to break out the monotony a little bit as well. So that it's not just a paragraph per page. And then of course, the last slide, got to have a CTA that's really simple for them to want to engage with. Nice. That's great feedback there. And I think uh, the snowball, it really hit home for me with the, with the snowball mentality there where we really, you know, you want to, you want to pique their interest. So like instead of UGC, UGC school, it would be like, you know, what's the most, what's the highest converting possible kind of ad format or something like that? Like some, something that would, or even, even, yeah, like something even, what's even better? I, I, I would, I would say like our ads, stupid question mark, and then have like a, like a, just a wacky picture of some kind in there. And then people would potentially get offended. People would potentially be like, what? Like if, if, if I saw that, I would certainly click on it. Cause like, yeah. are ads stupid? Like, and, and then I would go through it and it could, here's the thing that, that I think is really powerful as well as trying to add a theme to something. So uh, versus just going, here's education. Uh, here's, here's the, the principles, the steps. I would, uh, you know, like one famous example is instead of going, hey guys, how to grow Instagram. Uh, I wrote, Instagram samurai, how to become an Instagram samurai. That post went viral because everyone's like, yeah, I like samurais. And, I love samurais. You, know, <laughs> you know what I mean? People so then I had, all these, I had all these really crazy cool images of like a quote from a samurai, how to how they lived and, you know, these really cool um, Japanese anime aesthetics throughout. And and I think people really appreciate the creative ingenuity of that. Um, yeah, so I would certainly say that try to add a theme, try to try to try to offend people, try to try to be polarizing. And you know, like Gary Vee does this all the time. You'll see the first five seconds of his video, and you're like, "That's really offensive." And then you watch and get the context. You're like, "Oh, it's not offensive. He's actually just helping someone." Ads um, are stupid if you're not using UGC kind of thing, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, that's you how you'd finish it. Like, you are stupid if you're not using user generated content in your ads, basically. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. So you need it. Yeah, it's a great. That's a great way of putting it together because not everyone knows what UGC is either. Exactly. Um, you know, so uh, you have to think about the everyday audience, the, those that don't understand a lingo. Uh, can they read it and appreciate it? And that's what we're getting, I think, too. Like, obviously, this, um, you know, jo not not job seeking, but sort of like a money online scene has is the broadest part of the internet marketing funnel. Um, and we've always focused as a, you know, a B2B enterprise sort of like, you know, for clients and, and really building in that agency space. But we're realizing that this whole D2C space is just broadening so quickly uh, with how low the barriers are to entry and how many other types of uh, professions in the world are becoming unviable. So there, I think there really is an opportunity for us to broaden our funnel. And that's something that we constantly have to remind ourselves is that nobody knows all of our stupid acronyms. Like, <laughs> nobody, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. We're constantly, we're, our ROAS is this and our this but uh but i think we have to keep reminding ourselves that there is a much broader audience that we can be accessing with this content if we pivot in the right way yeah and you have to think about as well like um can you make content for the world of those that would potentially be interested in what you guys do not just the direct uh con consumer the last thing i would say is the profile pick got to fix that 
Um, and I would, I would look at how can we, how can you make some more striking colors in your feed? Uh, like the background behind you, for those that are listening, there's like this bright mint, this bright turquoise gradient, uh, all the way through to like a blue palette. Whereas on the page, I'm just seeing, uh, black and, and like a very dark green. So as you scroll down, there's some really interesting colors, but yeah, I would, I would try to think of, uh, there you go. There's some more mint and stuff like yeah, that as we've, well. But... We've made it more drab on purpose. So we'll have to. So tell me about the profile picture. What like give, give me the what what do we got to do for the profile picture? As, if you're not yeah, watching, so it's I, a I'm... cardboard box. It's, a, it's literally <laughs> it's a card... our logo on a cardboard box. Yeah. So I would I would uh, I'd make it so that um, those that see it in its small form. So like when you're on a mobile phone and you see that the the notification feed come up. Um, you know, is that going to get drowned out with other other people that, that are potentially engaging with that individual's content? So, you know, maybe just having a really bright, vivid colored background that just has DTC going across it, or even better, maybe uh, I would suggest maybe a photo of you guys together, faces side by side, you know, adding that personal touch that, hey, we're people, we're not just a logo. Um, you know, one thing I noticed when we launched Victory Front was uh, that the victory front page did not thrive anywhere near as fast as my personal brand did because people on Instagram, typically 95% of the time want to follow people. They don't want to follow uh, yeah. a logo because the logo comes with, this is a business. This business's intention is to make money, you know? So if you can make it about the people uh, have photos versus a logo, I think that's always a, that's a, that's always a strength as well. Um, and then again, the, the name, uh, newsletter, I, I would, I would try to find something that, um, uh, maybe says something a little bit different because people's concept of a newsletter could be that something of which is dated or something of which that is old or people's perception of newsletter could be many things. Um, so I understand that you guys are using that, but that's one of the things I would, I would look at exploring as well. Should we rename it the uh, the Eric Show or something? Something that that yes, yeah, dude. Just to make it all about Eric. Um, <laughs> My yeah, last name's I, Dick. I, that's an opportunity <laughs> we should be taking. I think. I yeah, like there's other duos. Uh, I'll send you guys some examples. There's some other duos on on Instagram. Um, I don't know if you guys are duo or more than that, um, but but yeah, certainly try to add mm-hmm. that that human element to it. Amazing, and not just from our our our. Oddly homoerotic fight club picture. <laughs> Dude, that's awesome, man. I got to hey, appreciate it. You better not soap. drop that soap. <laughs> I'm coming for you. Dude, oh, I used man. to have that uh, original photo on a t-shirt, uh, fight club. Dude, that's really funny. Yeah, you guys need to lean into the duo thing, man. Yeah. You need to kind of play into that a bit more, I think. Nice. Oh, I yeah. love it. I love when we get free consulting from the world's best experts on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> do we have any uh, questions? We have a few people watching live with us here, including the what, one of our lead social managers over at the on the Pilot House side, Sierra. Uh, yeah, let let us know if there are any questions in the audience. Anything else from your side there, Gilfoy? Anything we should have asked Dane about about your world uh, that that would have been uh, good for our audience? Um. You mean about your page and about no about, about you? Guys... Just is there any? This is one question. It's, it's this is like our laziest question. Oh, which is like, yeah. Sorry. Did yes. we forget to ask you something that you think we should have asked? Uh, yeah, that's a great question. Um, you know, I think I think when it comes back to like Instagram specifically, uh, for those that are looking to to get attention on the platform, again, got to be consumer centric. I, I can't preach this enough. You have to go into the world of those that you are trying to speak to um, and as much as possible, talk to them and, and ask them questions about what do they value the most, what do they see, you know, try to quiz and, and, and survey. And, and you could do this on SurveyMonkey too. You could try to 
you know, create a survey monkey account and just try to make a, make an educated guess of who the target audience is. But, um, every client we talk to, uh, they, they, they appreciate this, but they don't really run with it. You have to think about who is a target audience. Cause as soon as you start posting content that doesn't align with that, if your page doesn't feel like it's, it's, it's hitting a certain note every time it's playing a certain song. If the song starts changing, if it goes from metal to, to classical, it's gonna it's gonna be fuzzy. The audience aren't gonna really understand what the what the intention of the page is. So I think really laying into Instagram in one specific way, like what do you want to be known for on Instagram? And if you could be number one in consumers' mind for one thing on Instagram, what would that be? Uh, and how can you put that in a lingo in a language that's a bit more universally appreciated, other than those that are gonna buy from you? Um, hopefully that makes sense. I know I'm throwing a lot of lingos and, and complex no. thoughts at you, but um, yeah, I would say just go all out on that. And, and you can't go wrong if you're listening to people jumping into the to the crowd and really building relationships with those that that do appreciate your work. So I think uh, relationships is everything when it comes to Instagram. Certainly the algorithm in 2021 appreciates the dialogue between you and those that, are, that can consume your content. Um, so there's a lot of data coming out that basically says those that post and jump off the platform don't perform anywhere near as well as those that post and like DM and, and communicate and go live with their fans. So I think, you know, we've had clients that have um, pretty near the same business. One client is engaging with their audience all the time. The other one never does. And we're talking about 100,000 followers on this page inside of a year and 2,000 on this page. That's how big of a difference community engagement is, like getting involved with the fans. I got a really crazy post I'm doing today. It's going to be really funny. Um, I've I, I do believe I'm the first who have ever done this on Instagram. So uh, stay tuned. It's going to be, it's going to be wacky, but you got to surprise your audience guys. You got to do things that are just funny and silly and kind of wacky. You got to maintain their attention and you have to experiment. You don't, you know, I don't subscribe to just carousels nonstop. You know, I think that there's so much more that can be created with content, but if you get consumer centric, if you, if you jump in the crowd and imagine you're hanging out with these people, you can't go wrong. Like that's the best way to learn how to grow a brand on Instagram. hundred percent. Totally. Yeah. And if that's on a cliffhanger, I, I don't know what is. Um, but just one, one of your other insights that I thought was really valuable was, um, when you're on Instagram, I think you said treat it as though you, you, you paid half a million dollars to be there or something like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Like that's, that's how I treat it. Uh, you know, and, and it, people went crazy over that, man. Like I had stacks of DMs, people going, Oh my God, that makes sense. You know? And I think that, you know, we, we take, um, we take, we take social media for granted. Gary V has this, I can't find it, but he has this epic thing where he talks about how, um, you know, we're so lucky because we can go home after work and we can promote a business all night long, 24 seven on the internet. And if you go back to our parents, and their grandparents, if you look at our grandparents' generation, they didn't have the internet. Um, they, they, they finish work, they go home, and, and that's it. They can't build a, a side hustle. They can't build a business from home. Um, maybe they could do something on the weekend, but they were dramatically limited with their time and resources in that generation to, to, to do anything. So I think that um, if they had access to the internet back then, like what impact would it have had on their generation? Um, you know, so I look at Instagram as a, a multi-million dollar business. And I did that when I had nothing. I, I, I made a promise to myself when I started posting content, I'm going to treat this like I bought it. I'm going to treat the, the, with the same tenacity and the same ferocity as if I spent, if I, if I took out my life savings of $500,000 and I paid for an Instagram account, how would I treat it? 
I would sure as hell find a way to make it work. And the analogy is if you spent $500,000 to open a cafe, um, you know, and, and the first two weeks it didn't do well, you wouldn't just be like, ah, cafes don't work. This is stupid. Throw in a towel and, and close the business. Uh, you would find a way to make it work. So the analogy is that, you know, don't give up so easily. Just get get ferocious about how can I make this work if 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 I had to give it everything I had. Such a great perspective. I, I love it. And and you know, when we look at our we are, like I say, we're mostly a paid shop in terms of how we grow. But I look at where all of those users are coming from, where they're continuing to engage us. And Instagram is is the number one channel. Uh, and so I really think I'm going to, you know, taking this to heart and really looking at, at how we can solve answers for our, our clients. Like it, it, we've just been having this, this sort of passive growth where we're buying, we're buying subscribers and then people find us and they happen to subscribe. But I feel like the next time we chat in six months with some of these tactics in place, we could not be at, at, at 3000, but we could be at 30,000 or 40 or 50,000. I got point. no doubt. That'll no doubt. Like, yeah, like guys, just get get crazy with the people that do engage. If you got five fans, like what can you do to blow their 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 week away? And you know, it can be very simple things like just you know um, giving them a shout out on a podcast or jumping on their feed and and making a post or a carousel about how dope their page is. And uh, that that's that that person's going to become a fan for life. That 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 person's going to be like, oh my god, these guys are fantastic. You know, so how can you win more fans? Um, the best article, the best piece of content I've literally ever read is a thousand true fans. Mm. Uh, if you've not read that article yeah. and read it like thirty times uh, to really absorb what the guy's saying you know, that, that could not be true. So th- for those that are looking at, yeah, like I've built a seven figure business out of Instagram. That's it. Like I, I don't have any other platform that I'm utilizing any attention on. I'm not running ad campaigns. I'm just boosting posts that perform well. Um, you know, so it's entirely possible and, and it's not too late. And I think that um, we're in an era now where it's not one dominant platform where it's like Netflix. People just choose the platform they like to surf on because it fits their fits their lifestyle. I think we're now in that era where it's okay to have multiple platforms working simultaneously. So you just got to find that medium that works for you and your voice and, and your message and, and, and your fans. And again, who are your fans? Are they even on Instagram? If they're not, like maybe they're on YouTube. Um, we had a, a student in my academy yesterday. She She's teaching French. Um, and, and I was being real. I was like, are your fans even on Instagram or are people that want to learn French going to YouTube, how to learn French? Your fan base is probably there. That's where your energy needs to be. She's like, I hate being on video. I'm like, that's okay, but that's where your fans are. Mm. So, you know, I think that we just got to be honest and we just got to get ferocious and, and get after it, man. Hopefully, hopefully this helps people. <laughs> yeah, man. Great advice. I think in the book recommendations alone, it's going to help people. Uh, when you layer in the Instagram uh, tactics and the uh, the general goodwill, I think this goes down as, as another great podcast for the D2C gang. Thank you. Dane, uh, where, where, where should we send people to uh, to check out to, to learn more about you? Yeah, just go to my Instagram handle, um, Dane Walker, D-A-I-N uh, Walker. And uh, yeah, you can send me a message, reach out to me. I'll talk to you. Okay, simple awesome. as that. Yeah. All right, Dane. Thanks for coming on the D2C podcast today. Thank you for wearing a hockey merchandise uh, apparel. That's <laughs> something as Canadians we always appreciate. Yeah. Uh, and we'll catch you soon. Catch you soon. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Cheers. it. Bye Cheers. for now. Bye.